often they are referred to as the steps of salvation. Often you've seen pictures of them, maybe in a Bible school classroom or somewhere else where you have that picture of of steps leading up to when one becomes a Christian. Maybe each step has the word and underneath it or maybe on the front of the step has a particular verse or verses that go along with it. To hear, to believe, to repent, to confess, and to be baptized. And then often, near the end of that particular picture, maybe another step, or maybe off to the side, there's some particular notation that says that a person must continue to live faithfully. And usually the verse mentioned there is Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. I don't know how many of us were raised remembering those steps of salvation and seeing that picture before us. And Thank you. I was getting really, really worried about not having it because there's what we sometimes often see. And it's a great illustration. But I think if we don't take the time to explain it from time to time, there can be a misconception about at least part of it. Here's what I mean. If you were to walk up the steps to get somewhere, I remember when I was a kid, we used to go to St. Louis a lot. And it was an old store in downtown St. Louis. I believe it was an old J.C. Penney store. There was something like 15 stories tall. Now, when you're eight or nine years old, you don't want to go to J.C. Penney shopping. When you're 30-something years old, you don't want to go to J.C. Penney. Anyway, that's a different story. But you do want to see how far up you can go without your parents realizing <clears throat> where you are. And so the first six or seven floors, you rode an escalator. But then beyond that was stairs. Now, when we would go up to the 13th or 14th floor, how many times do you think we stepped on each of those steps going up? Well, once. And the reason I say sometimes we need to explain this particular image is because other than the step to be baptized, they are not one-time things. We continue to hear the truth of the gospel all throughout our lives. We continue to grow and deepen in our faith. We we don't necessarily, quote-unquote, believe more, but we believe more deeply. We understand more. We grow in our faith. Because we are people, and even though we're Christians, sometimes we, we still sin, there is still a need throughout our lives to repent, to turn from those things, and to strive to do better in the future than we have in the past. And we must continue to confess our Lord all throughout our lives. In fact, one of the passages that sometimes used by people who say the person does not need to be baptized, Romans chapter 10, beginning of verse 9, the apostle Paul there said, if you believe with your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess him, you'll be saved. What's interesting about that is Paul was writing to people who were already Christians. Their continued salvation depended on them to continue to believe and to continue to confess their faith, to profess, if you please, their faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's not a bad illustration to talk about the steps of salvation, but sometimes we need to make sure we understand that facet of it. That all of them, other than baptism, are continual throughout our lives. But this morning I want us to think about one of those steps, one of those parts of the plan of salvation, and that is the the step or the part of baptism and how it plays into this. Baptism, I suppose, is probably the most controversial or uh, the most discussed part of, piece of, the plan of salvation. There are a lot of different things we we talk about. And so from time to time, we have to come back to it to make sure that we fully understand it. But also because there's so much confusion about it in the world, we need to make sure that we can understand how to answer others when they have questions about it or even when they make charges about what what we teach particularly concerning baptism. 
We're not going to try to discuss everything about baptism this morning because, frankly, I don't have that much voice and you don't have that much sitting ability probably because there's a lot of verses that taught baptism in the Bible. But I want us to think about one particular aspect this morning and answer one question biblically, and that is this. Does the reason for baptism matter? We can talk about those steps, the plan of salvation, but does it matter if a person understands why he or she is being baptized? We might word it this way. Does the motive or the motivation matter? In fact, as I was trying to decide what to title this lesson, I went back and forth between the word reason and the word motivation. You can choose either one and both would be, either one would be fine. But does that matter? Well, to answer that question, we're going to try to do two things this morning. If you have a handout, you see both of them already before you. First, we're going to think for a few minutes about some reasons that are very commonly given in the religious world for a person being baptized. And then we're going to look at that passage we read together a little while ago from Acts chapter 2 and see what Peter said in that particular passage as the reason or the motivation behind a person being baptized. Does it matter? Well, I don't think we'd ask the question if the answer was no. It does matter. But there are a lot of reasons why people will say they need to be, or someone who claims to be a Christian, why they were or have been baptized sometime in the past. Let's think about just a few of those that are very commonly given in the world around us. Some suggest that a person needs to be baptized as an outward sign of an inward grace. Now, that's a very technical way of wording it. Some of you remember when that phrase was was very, very popular. It's not as popular as it used to be, but here's basically what it means. I am already saved. And now I need to be baptized in order to display or demonstrate that. Now, here, here's what they're saying. I, I am saved only by the grace of God. God saves me simply through faith, through, through grace. That's the inward grace. He has already done the work in me. But now, of course, the Bible says baptism is important, so I need to be baptized to outwardly display what God has already done within me. That's a very common teaching that many of our religious friends would teach us. They may not use this exact phrase, an outward sign of an inward grace, but the teaching is very, very common. I've been reading a lot the last, oh, eight months or so, I guess, from time to time from so-called church growth experts and some, some members of the church, some in particular denominations. And it's interesting to me how many of those who are writers of particular denominations lament the fact that particular churches are not having baptismal services. Here's what they mean. Some of you have seen this advertised maybe on banners or maybe on Facebook or somewhere else where a, a certain number of people have over the past weeks or months accepted Christ. They've been saved, to use their own terminology. And so since you have a good number, now we're going to build up to a particular Sunday where we have a baptismal Sunday. So all those people can be baptized to show what God has been doing in this place. Sometimes it's done on a Sunday morning. Sometimes it's done maybe on a special Sunday afternoon service. Sometimes it's done maybe at a youth retreat if it's a youth group thing or something like that. But we had a lot of people who have been saved. Now we build up to a big Sunday where a lot of people are baptized to show that. And some of the people who are the, these quote-unquote church, church growth both experts suggest that they lament the fact that those just don't exist much anymore because it's almost like a PR thing, a marketing thing, that if you can have those Sundays quite often, wow, look what God is doing here. Now, whether people have the baptismal Sunday or not, 
this particular teaching is very common. A person already is a Christian, they say, but it's important for them to be baptized to show what God has done in their life. Did you notice one thing missing from talking about that? We didn't use a single verse of Scripture. Not one. Some suggest that a person needs to be baptized in order to join a church or join a particular denomination. This, again, is not as popular as it used to be, but it still is out there from time to time, where I am already a Christian. I'm in the larger body of the saved, if you want to think of it that way. But in order to have an identifying marker with a particular denomination or a particular congregation, I need to be baptized in order for that to happen. And some of you remember the days in particular denominations where it was very popular even to vote people in and out. That's not common anymore, but it still is done in certain pockets of Christianity, if you want to think of it that way, where a person decides that I want to be a member of this denomination or this congregation, and I have to go before, in some cases, the entire congregation. In other cases... uh, a group, maybe the elder board or maybe some uh, committee or something, and, and literally they vote on me whether I can become a member or not. And if I get enough votes, then I need to be baptized in order to show the identifying marker that I am now a part of that particular congregation. Now, that teaching used to be very popular. As I said, it's not as popular as it used to be. But there are still some times where that mindset can infiltrate even people who once become members of the Lord's Church. On several occasions, quite quite a number, in fact, I've had people come to me and say something like this. I want to join your church, so I need to be baptized. Now, in Acts chapter 2 that we read a little while ago, the text clearly says that the Lord added to the church those who were being saved. Verse 41 tells us. There's no verse in Scripture that talks about, quote-unquote, joining a church. But if someone suggests that the only reason that they need to be baptized, there's a lot of study that needs to be done. It's not just, and I'm not trying to say this in a flippant way, please don't hear that. But I'm not, it is not, baptism is not just switching from one club to another club. It's not just switching from one church to another church. That's not what it's about. At least not primarily what it's about for certain. And again, not a verse to back it up. Some suggest that a person needs to be baptized in order to remove original sin. And that sounds really technical. But this is why you so often see babies being baptized or christened is usually the terminology used. The idea is this. We are born, people suggest, inheriting the original sin of the first man, Adam. Not me, the first man, Adam. Okay, And all the way through all these centuries and all the way through these hundreds of generations since the Garden of Eden, we pass along a sin nature, or sometimes it's simply called a sinful nature. And when I am born, I have inherited that sinful nature. And since there is some teaching in Scripture about the fact that baptism takes away sin, then we need to baptize that baby in order to have that sin nature or that sinful part of that little boy or that little girl taken away. Now, what's more confusing to me, quite frankly, are people who teach that a person is born with a sinful nature and then suggest that a baby does not need to be baptized. Folks, if we're born with a sinful nature, this makes perfect sense because the Bible does clearly teach that baptism washes away our sins. But the Bible also teaches that we are not born with a sinful nature. The Old Testament prophet Ezekiel 
In Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20, the English Standard Version puts it this way. The soul that sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of his father, nor father suffer for the iniquity of his son. And then the prophet ends that verse this way. The, the wicked, excuse me, the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. What was he saying? No matter how good or bad my parents might have been, I do not inherit either their righteousness or their unrighteousness, their wickedness. I simply am a person. But even if that verse were not in the Bible, we still would know this is not the truth for the very simple reason that sin is not a nature. Sin is a choice. Literally, sin is a rebellion against God. And a baby cannot choose to rebel against God. A baby has no concept of who or what God is. A baby has no concept of right and wrong. And certainly, a baby has no concept of morality and immorality and choosing the immoral over the moral. Sin is a choice. So, while this may be a very popular teaching among many people, if I may just say it boldly, it's completely unnecessary. Because the baby has not made that choice to rebel against God, to sin. And finally, I would suggest to you that some people might be baptized at times to impress someone else or even to bring relief to someone else. Now, I don't think this is something that is widely taught. I don't think you're going to go to any particular Christian church anywhere and and see a, a preacher or a pastor or anyone else stand up and actually preach. You need to be baptized for somebody else in order to impress somebody else or to bring relief to somebody else. I don't think it's a widely taught thing, but it could be a widely practiced thing. Here's what I mean. There's some who have maybe a parent, maybe a grandparent, maybe a friend, maybe a Bible school teacher who talks to them so much about being baptized that they simply go through the act in order to get that person off their back. Or, or, on a... If I may say it this way, a more positive spin of things, you know, it sure would make grandma feel good if I did this. It sure would make mom and dad feel a lot better if, if I were baptized. And so to make them feel better, to bring them some relief, I'll go through with it. We also need to be careful about not having what I have sometimes seen described as peer pressure baptism. I'm at a place, maybe a church camp, maybe a gospel meeting back in the day or something. And I mean, people are just being baptized left and right. And so since everybody else is doing it, then I guess I'll do it too. Now, sometimes that happens where huge numbers are baptized. Folks, Acts chapter 2. I mean, can you imagine 3,000 people in one day? That had to be amazing, right? That, that's, that's, that's wonderful. I mean, I can't, I can't even describe how, how often I pray for not just a person, but many people to respond either to be baptized or to be uh, restored on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or whenever it is. That's, that's fantastic. But if the only reason I'm doing it is because other people are doing it, I have a problem. Now, it may be that when I become a Christian, someone else does find some, for lack of a better word, relief from that. It may be that there are other people becoming Christians on that particular day or that particular week. And that helps motivate me to make that final, final decision. But those things, those things are tangential. Those are side issues. Baptism is a, a personal choice. Baptism is between an individual and God. 
Now, so far, you may have noticed in each of these that other than to refute them or to speak against them, there's been something missing. You haven't opened your Bible yet, have you? Unless you just one of the verses I mentioned just off the cuff just to, to refute one of these things. Because these reasons, while they may be popular, while they may be widespread, while they may be widely practiced, not a one of them has any ounce of biblical backing whatsoever. And if we are going to be people who follow Scripture in everything that pertains to life and godliness, First Peter chapter 1, then I need to make sure that I do what God says, yes, but also if it is given, I need to do what God says for the reason that God has stipulated those things. Let me put a parenthesis in here and just give an illustration. Why could someone come to worship? Folks, we can make a list a mile long, could we not? And a lot of things on that list might not necessarily, quote-unquote, be bad things, but they might not be the reasons to worship that God has given. I I could be in this room and go through all the avenues of worship every single Sunday and never worship for the reasons that God has given. I could just be here because if I'm not here, somebody will make fun of me. Or I could just be here because by by going to church, it might be good for my business. Or I could come to worship and, and, and just be here because I like seeing people. Okay, now, now, fellowship and those things are good, but why do we worship? We worship to praise God and to thank God, to glorify God, to lift up Christ, and yes, to encourage one another in doing that. The same is true when it comes to be, be, uh, being baptized. I can go through with the act and never do it for the reason that God has given. And if there is a reason given for why someone is baptized... I must make sure that I go through with the action for the prescribed, God-given reason. And so with that in mind, I want you to turn back to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to examine a specific phrase found in verse 38 in just, just a moment. But to get there, let's set up the context just for a moment. Remember that in Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching to a group of Jews who are gathered for the feast or the day of Pentecost. So that's, that's an important fact here. Because just by knowing that, we know that he is preaching to a group of people who, number one, believe in the God of heaven, and number two, believe in him enough to obey this command to be present for this particular Old Testament feast. So there's already a belief in place in these people in the God of heaven. Now, we're not going to take the time to rehearse everything Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2. But suffice it to say, what he basically does is show those people that a few weeks earlier, the one that they put on the cross was the one the Old Testament prophets had talked about. That God had sent forth His Son to the earth. And not only did they just miss Him, they killed Him. In fact, in the first verse we read a little while ago, verse 36, Peter specifically says exactly that. Let all the house of Israel, all the Jews, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Brother Larry, I've given a lot of invitations in my day. <laughs> I've never said something that bold. I don't think that's, that's an invitation. That is, that is strong. Whom you crucified. Now, it says a lot about these individuals. When they hear that, the verse 37 tells us they were cut 
to the heart. Literally, the original language is they were cut from above. Something struck them in a way that they had never really felt before, if you want to think of it that way. And it says a lot about them that they wanted to react to this in an humble way. And so they asked that great question in verse 37, what shall we do? Peter, we don't understand everything you said. We can't fully understand everything you said. But we do understand that the one that we put on the cross a few weeks ago really is the one you're talking about. He really is the Son of God. He really is Lord and Christ. And yes, we had a hand in crucifying. What can we do about that? It is very important for us to remember who gives the answer. You remember back in Matthew chapter 7, excuse me, 16. Jesus said to Peter, I will give to you the keys of the kingdom. And literally the, what Jesus said was, And whatever you bind on earth shall already have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall already have been loosed in heaven. Why is that important for us to remember? Because right now, when these people ask, what shall we do? It is as if Peter picks up the keys and puts them in the lock and says, here's how you get in. But it's already been bound in heaven. And Peter does not just give some action. Peter gives an action tied to a reason or a motivation. Notice verse 38. Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, or by the authority of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, or forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter could have just given an action to follow. But Peter gave an action to follow, and the motivation or reason behind it. For the forgiveness of sins. Now that leads to a very natural question. What does that mean? What does it mean to be baptized for the remission or forgiveness of sins? To answer that question, let's examine that phrase. There's three words from that phrase. The first word we're going to look at is the little word for. And you may think that's just absolutely silly to examine. the Who doesn't know what the word for means? F-O-R. All right. And I put up there the original Greek word is also three words, E-I-S. Some of you may remember back in the days when debates were very popular. On the subject of baptism, often this word was pronounced as ice. And it was common for people to talk about, don't slip on the ice. And that was supposed to be really funny, and it's not funny. But, you know, that was supposed to be a funny thing. For some reason, the last 15 or 20 years or so, Greek scholars have suggested that way that word would have been pronounced back then is more like our word ace. But however you pronounce it, it's just a little three-letter preposition. The reason I want to discuss that word is because it can be translated two different ways or defined two different ways. It can mean in order to or unto. It can also mean because of. Now, what if that little word for means because of? If that word means because of, then everything I said about 12 minutes ago about an outward sign of inward grace, that would have been true. Because what Peter would have been saying here is, repent and be baptized because your sins have already been forgiven. I have seen chapters in books. I have read I don't know how many pages for people who try to argue that that's what Peter had in mind here. There are three reasons why we know it's not the case. First, remember, he did not just say, be baptized for this reason. He said, repent 
and be baptized. If I understand, excuse me, what repentance really is, turning from sin, changing my mind about sin, turning from the actions of sin, all those things, and yes, grief that goes along with that, does it make a whole lot of sense to repent if I've already been forgiven? What's interesting to me is how many people will argue that a person does not need to be baptized in order to be saved, but they'll say a person does need to repent in order to be saved when they're tied together. It's either it's either both or neither. It's not one. It's not one and the other. It's both or neither. Here's another reason we know it's not the case. That little word. It's a preposition. It's like our word of or for. We use them all the time. And don't even think about how often we're using them. That little word is found in the, in the New Testament 1,773 times. Don't worry, I did not take the time to count them all. I took someone's word for it, okay? 1,773 times. And it's found in all sorts of contexts. Stories, parables, historical accounts, and so forth. All kinds of contexts. Of the 1,773 times that word is found in the original language, do you want to take a guess as to how many times it is translated in any context because of or because? None. Zero. In historical accounts, in prophecies, in parables, it is always translated as some form of unto or in order to or in order that. Number three, and tied to that, there was a booklet published several years ago. And I'll, I'll just tell you, it's not the most exciting thing ever to read. Because all it is, is Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 from over 150 different translations. That's all it is. It, just the same verse over and over and over and over and over. Versions all the way back before the King James Version in English, all the way up to some of the most modern paraphrases you might find in popular bookstores today. All of them. A hundred and something different translations. Acts 2.38, Acts 2.38, on, 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 all through the thing. Every single one of them, from some translations that we're carrying around this morning to some that most of us wouldn't even dream of even carrying around to some we've never even heard of, all of them translate the word unto or in order to or that. Not a one of them translates it as because of. Peter was not saying Repent and be baptized because your sins have already been forgiven. What Peter was saying was, I know you believe because you're here and you're listening. I know you believe because you're willing to say, what shall we do? And based upon that belief, there is something, really some things, repent and be baptized, that you must do in order to make this occur. The second word I want to consider is the last word. The word sins or sin. <laughs> Many of you have heard that word defined before as to miss the mark. And that certainly is a good definition. But it's not all that that word means. It's a great definition. Don't forget that definition. But the word also carries with it the idea of to have a share, or excuse me, to not have a share in something. One scholar trying to define this word, this original word, gives a three-sentence three definition I want you to hear. He said, It is missing the true goal and scope of life. Offense in relation to God with emphasis on the resulting guilt. It is sin as an in, uh, individual act. Now put those two little definitions together. What was Peter saying that I need to repent to be baptized in order to ha- have forgiven? 
I am choosing when I sin to miss the mark that God has laid out for my life. But also, I do not have a share in the blessings that attend that life, a Christian life. Folks, that is a chilling reality. Sin is not just, quote unquote, some bad thing. Sin is the separator. Sin is rebellion against a holy God. And sin means I do not have the fullness of the blessings of God. Yes, there are some things that God blesses every person with. He sends the rain on the just and on the unjust, the sun to shine on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Right? I mean, there are some things that we enjoy just because we're breathing air that God blesses every person with because we are human and because we're here. But the Bible also makes it very clear that there are innumerable blessings that we have, that we receive, that we gain if we are a Christian. And what Peter was saying was, if you do not repent and are not baptized, you do not have a share in those blessings. The third word I want to consider is that word forgiveness. Some of you memorized that verse from the old King James as a child, maybe, and you remember the word remission is there. I love that word as well. In preparing for this lesson, I read this verse, Acts 2.38, from 23 different translations. Frankly, some I'd never heard of. <laughs> That's why I was getting ready for this lesson. I've had some on my desk, some I found online. I'm going to read this verse over and over and over again just to see how it's translated as many different ways as I possibly can stand it. It was interesting, of those 23 translations, 11 of them use the word forgive or forgiveness. Eleven of them use the word remission. Now, eleven plus eleven is twenty-two. And I said I read from 23 translations. It was interesting to me, the 23rd one I read actually got more to what the word originally means. And it was a translation that, frankly, I had never heard of until preparing for this lesson. It was the the Aramaic Bible in plain English. Am I carrying that one around this morning? If so, I'd really like to see it. Because I've never seen it. This is an online thing I found. Aramaic Bible in plain... I'm going to change one word because they use Peter's Hebrew name. I'm going to change his name to Peter. This is what that verse says. And Peter said to them, Return to God and be immersed, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jehovah uh, Yeshua, for release from sin so that you may receive the gift of the Spirit of holiness. Now, as I said, most of us have never even heard of that translation, much less heard that verse translated that way. But that little phrase, for release from sin, is exactly what Peter was saying. Because the original word, ephesus, means to be released from bondage or imprisonment. That's what it means. What Peter was saying was, the one who repents and is baptized that captive is being set free. In fact, personally, I prefer to translate Acts 2.38 as for liberation from sin. Because that's what Peter was saying. It is the moment at which I am liberated from the shackles of sin. When I truly repent and when I'm immersed. And by the way, did you notice they actually use the word immersed in that literal translation? But I am released from that bondage. I am released from the imprisonment That comes from sin. If one has not repented. And if one has not been baptized. That person is still captive. To his or her sins. They may be a good person. They may do a lot of good things. And I don't doubt that so many do. But their their sin still shackles them. In their soul. Because they have not done. 
what God said for the reason God said to do it. If there was no reason for baptism, Peter could have simply looked at those on that day since he was the one with the keys to the kingdom. He could have looked at those on that day and said, repent and be baptized and you'll be saved. Or, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He could have said that. But Peter knew that there needed to be an action and a motivation or reason for going through with that action. And so, Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. One is baptized in order to be liberated from missing the mark of God and the blessings that attend being a Christian. I heard this story told as true. I've never been able to verify it, so if it's not true, just take it as a good story. Back in the day when debates were very popular among the Christian world, there was supposed to be a debate one day between a denominational preacher and a preacher from the churches of Christ about this particular subject. Does a person have to be baptized in order to be saved? But at the last minute, they realized that the the preacher for the churches of Christ was not there. He was sick. And it was an old minister sitting in the back who had just come to watch the debate. The house was packed. They didn't want to cancel the debate. And so they went out and found this old preacher, we might even say a country preacher, and said, can can you possibly take his place? And he said, give me a few minutes to collect some thoughts, and I think I can. And so the the denominational preacher, being a very kind man, said, sure, we'll wait a few moments, that's fine. And the time came finally for the debate to begin. And the old preacher stood up from his seat and walked up to the podium and opened an old, crusty Bible, and he said, Acts 2 Verse 38, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he closed his old crusty Bible and walked over to his seat and sat down. The denominational preacher stood up and thought, this debate is as in the bag as any debate has ever been in the bag. And he walked up to the podium and for the next hour filled his entire time with every scholarly argument you can think of, reasons why this word means this and that word means that, and it couldn't mean this because, and on and on and on and on he went until literally his time ran out an hour later. And he sat down, not in arrogance, but just smugly, knowing this thing is over, I have won this debate, there is no way this old country preacher can possibly answer every argument I've just put up for the last hour. And an old country preacher walked back to the podium, picked up that old crusty Bible again, opened it back up and said, Acts 2, verse 38. Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then with the wisdom of the ages... That old preacher looked down for a second, closed his Bible, looked back up at the entire audience and said, Yep, it's still there. End of debate. End of argument. Peter held the keys to the kingdom. And through the inspiration of God, when those who had literally put Christ on the cross said, What shall we do? 
Peter picked up the keys and he did not say, I'm sorry, there's nothing you can do. He picked up the keys and he did not say, I'm going to give you a mindless, emotionless, robotic action that you just go through, but you just go through an act and there's no heart in it whatsoever. No, Peter said, every one of you be baptized by the authority of Christ in order to be liberated from missing the mark of God and you'll receive the blessings attended with that. That's why someone needs to be baptized. And I know it's not popular to say, but folks, there is no plan B. Peter did not follow up Acts 2.38 by saying in verse 39, unless you just don't want to, or unless this happens, or unless you believe some other way. Peter opened the keys to the kingdom by saying, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I know that most of us in this room this morning have done that. And I sometimes am a little bit fearful to preach a sermon like this, not because it's not the truth, but because sometimes it makes people who have been baptized in the past for for that reason question things. Maybe they were baptized when they were 11 or 12 or 13 years old, and did I know enough? I'm not trying to get people to question that at all. But I also know that there are people in this room who come constantly, who come regularly, who have not been baptized for that reason. I know that because some have literally told me, others have told me, someone in their family or someone that they they love here, who have not been baptized for that reason. Folks, that is the only way to reach heaven. That's it. That's it. So why would you wait? It's time to make it right. It's time to have those sins removed. It's time to be liberated. And it's time to know those blessings that attend being a faithful Christian of God and follower of God. It's time. All together we stand and while we sing.